A woman accompanied her husband to the doctor's. After his checkup, the doctor called in the wife to be alone with him. Your husband is suffering from a very serious disease, combined with stress, and if you don't do the following, your husband will probably die. Each morning, fix him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant and make sure he is in a good mood. For lunch, fix him a nutritious meal. For dinner, something really special. Don't burden him with your chores. Don't add to his stress with yours. He might be unwell, but please don't have a headache. After six months, your husband, if you do these things, will probably fully recover. The wife left the doctor's office, they got in the car, and they began driving home. The husband is waiting for the wife to say something, but nothing. After a while, he can't stand it any longer, and he says to his wife, what did the doctor say? You're going to die, she said, <laughs> as quickly as that. It's funny, but they're the words that we dread, you're going to die. The telephone is always ringing in our house. The call was different just four weeks ago. And like these calls do, it came un unannounced, it came uninvited. I knew as soon as it was answered this was different, no idle chat, no catching up, no funny story to share. It was the news we'd wondered would come, just didn't know when. Minutes later, I stood in the kitchen of our home, holding my daughter as tightly as I could, and I whispered the news. One of her best friends in primary school, her father, just died. Not at some great age, but suddenly, tragically, in the prime of his life, the shadow of death had fallen over them, and us, and our community. Years before, I remember another call. My friend Justin was on the phone, seven o'clock in the morning. We were in sick form together. We worked one hour a week. What was he doing up at seven o'clock in the morning, get back to bed? There, as I stood in the hallway, I heard him say in a voice I barely recognized, my dad died last night. Died? What do you mean, died? Hugh was young and fit, a well-respected GP. Hugh cycled a racing cycle, 10, 15 miles every day to keep in shape. Not anymore. Cycling hard on an A road just outside Cardiff, head down, he went straight into a park lorry, instantly killed. And then there was Elliot, Elliot Fine. My dad and Elliot would race each other in the father's race at my primary school, neck and neck down the track they would go as all the other overweight dads were left somewhere behind. That went on for years. Until one day a madman drove him down outside his own home. I remember sitting in a pew with my mum and dad as our neighbour and friend Keith walked into church with his two young girls following the coffin of their mum. I remember the news reaching us in the south of Spain that John Davis, the local organist, had died leaving his wife and two children. They lived in the same close. I'll never forget the shock. As a teenager, barely seeing Kelly's coffin, so small and so white, Kelly was born blind and she'd come and she'd sit on my knee after church every Sunday and we'd play the piano together. She died age five. The shadow of death. And each time anger and fear and questioning and uncertainty and hopelessness for those closest, the searing loss. Death so brutal, so final, so gut-wrenchingly tragic, so uninvited, unwelcome and it's all around. 
Rushing to work the other day, I rushed into the pharmacy and there it was, the same notice. I could barely believe it. We'd just taken down the exact same notice from the spa. Now it's up in the pharmacy, just a different name. This pharmacy will be closed on Tuesday for the funeral of our manager. And there, a lady in the prime of her life. The shadow of death is all too familiar. And it's under that same shadow that we find these women there in Mark 15 and 16. I hope you still have it open in front of you. The Bible speaks right into the the real world in which you and I live. Those women, page 1024, if you've lost it. Would you see it there with me? Chapter 16 and verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Do you see it there in your Bible? Can you feel the reality for these women? They're up early in the morning. They cannot sleep for their grief. They make their way to the tomb, overwhelmed and disorientated. They just don't know what to do. Everything seems so pointless and futile now. Their actions make no sense. They're going to a tomb that has a great stone in the way. They're going to a tomb where the Roman guards are already in place. But still to the tomb they go, all the same. Grief's like that. You're powerless and helpless. You you find yourself doing pointless things. Everything upside down, all topsy-turvy. The shadow of death for these women, for those disciples, so real. Death so callously robbing them of the one they love. Death draining every last ray of hope for those caught in its shadow. And it's so often thus. There are too many Natasha paintings that have needlessly and pointlessly died. But this is our world. And whilst we shut death out, whilst we live as if it is not there, the ancient words of the Requiem Mass that were adopted in the common book of prayer say this, in the midst of life, we are in death. And you might want to scream this morning, and I'd understand if you did, no, 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 look how alive we all are. Look at my family and my friends. We're so healthy, we're so good. The shadow of death, it might be out there somewhere, but it's not here. Shut up. What kind of message is this for an Easter Sunday? Like a weight that we no longer notice. It's my experience that the weight of the shadow is on us all. What about the time your partner really hurt you and a little something inside you died? The shadow fell that day. What about those words you were called in the playground? The words that still sting, they went straight to your heart. And a little something there in the playground. You were six, seven, eight years old. A little something inside you died. What about the promotion you didn't get? What about that exam that you failed? The moral mistake that you made? The falling out that you had? The disappointment you faced? The dream that was shattered? And each time, a little something inside you died. And the shadow fell. If in the midst of life we're in death, in countless ways the shadow of death falls on us through our ordinary days. We ignore it. We pretend it isn't there. We long for it to go away. We act as if it's nothing. But still the shadow falls. Anger, bitterness, fear, uncertainty, worry, emptiness, sadness, loss, distress, panic. These are its fruits. So join me with these women, getting up to face another day under the shadow of death. 
They are where we are. Their darkness is our own. And so pointlessly, not knowing what else to do, they head for the tomb. But this is the beginning. This is the beginning of their story that day. Please understand, their story did not end there. And it need not end there with us. Join us as they make that journey. Look at verse 4. A stunning discovery is on the way. Can you see it there in verse 4? When they looked up. I'm urging you this morning, wherever you are in life, to look up and see what maybe you've never seen before. They looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been what? It had been rolled away. We'll come back to that in a moment. And so the stone was rolled away. They entered the tomb, verse 5, and they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Really? The Bible surprises us sometimes. Who can blame them for that? And so the Beautiful words of the angel, so powerful into our lives. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. And then, stick with me for a moment, three words. Three words that change everything. Many of us have faced and heard words in our lives that turned our own worlds upside down. When the doctor said, I'm sorry. When the CEO said, you've got the job. When the person you love most said, will you marry me? or I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. Short words and phrases that make a lifetime of difference. Here then this morning, three words that change everything. Is this preacher's rhetoric? Am I exaggerating for effect? No, I don't think so. Here three words that literally change everything. He has risen. He has, hallelujah, that's four words. I said three. Okay, let's go for four words, okay? He has risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise his name. He's risen. The shadow of death obliterated by the rising sun. S-O-N. Hallelujah. And so the angel continued, look, he's not here. See, go in the place where they laid him. Which takes us back to the stone being rolled away. Why do you think the stone was rolled away? I always thought the stone was rolled away so that Jesus could get out. Have you ever thought like that? Am I pressing the point that you thought about anything? Just chocolate this morning? I thought the stone was rolled away so Jesus could get out. But that doesn't make any sense. And the, this last week, God put, like, like lit it up in God's word for me. Uh, don't be so stupid, Simon. Why on earth did I need the stone out of the way to come back to life? There's no mention in the Gospels of Jesus coming out of the tomb because the stone was rolled away. At least not like that. In fact, it says that Jesus simply appeared behind locked and bolted doors. It says that the folded grave clothes were still there as if Jesus just went out through them. A stone rolled away. He didn't need a stone rolled away. It wasn't rolled away for him. It was rolled away for us. Not so that Jesus could get out, but so we could get in. So that we could see. It was rolled out the way for you and for me, our invitation. And so as those women and then the men went into the tomb and discovered firsthand eyewitnesses that he was not there, he's alive. They made that stunning discovery. You see, the idea of the resurrection was not made up in some ivory tower. It's not the product of mystics or some theologians with big, long, grey beards. The resurrection was born out of ordinary life. The experience of ordinary people who never would have believed it unless they'd seen it and known that it was true. 
Let me tell you about Peter, just one of those disciples. He was a typical guy. Hands up, typical guys. There's three typical guys in the room. Well done. All the others are weird. Beware of them. Weird. Weird guys in the room. Peter was a typical guy. He was married. He partnered with his brother. They had their own business. They were fishermen. And on one day, he met Jesus. And Peter changed the course of his life because this ordinary guy decided that he'd follow Jesus. And Peter went with him for three years while Jesus went about his earthly ministry. Peter heard Jesus teach. Peter saw Jesus perform miracles. Peter was there when Jesus walked on the water. Peter was there when Jesus fed the multitude with a small boy's lunch of loaves and fish. Peter was there when Judas walked out and betrayed him at the Last Supper. When Jesus was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter was there. When Jesus was arrested, beaten and flogged, albeit from a distance, Peter was there. When they crucified him, Peter was there. When he died, Peter was there. And upon hearing that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb, nothing could stop him. He left the house. He ran as fast as he could. He didn't pause for breath. He went straight in, past the rolled away stone, right in to see for himself. Bewildered and perplexed, what had happened to the man he'd given his life for? What had happened to the one in these last hours he'd betrayed? What happened to the friend that he loved more than anything else? And then Peter met Jesus for himself. Jesus alive. And then Peter was there for 40 days when Jesus appeared to small crowds and large crowds alike. It so changed Peter. He went from being a cowardly man to a courageous man. And just a few weeks later in God's Word, we find him preaching to a crowd much bigger than this, full of those who were responsible for killing Jesus And he said so boldly, you guys did this. You killed Jesus. But that's not the most important thing. There is something more important. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we, himself and the other disciples and the 500 that Jesus appeared to, we are all witnesses of this fact. He went on to become a pastor and a preacher proclaiming that Jesus had died for the wrong of the world. He wrote two books called One Peter and Two Peter. What a great title. And those books are in our Bible. And towards the end of the Bible, you can read the books that he wrote. And he begins his two books with these most incredible words of hope. An ordinary guy who met the risen Jesus and everything changed. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us what? He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. There's nothing that this world draped in the shadow of death needs than a living hope. There is nothing more I need I need to be able to run to the one who is alive. To the one who's conquered death and who conquers death 
in me. All those little deaths, all those times a part of me has died inside, all those moments of loss, of pain, of suffering, I can run to the one who is alive, the one that death itself cannot hold. And holding him, death can never hold me. Yes, bring it on. I'm on the winning team, everybody. If, if we were down in Portman Road, he'd go, I'm on the winning team, football, leather, pig's bladder, yay! I'm on the winning team in life. Oh, all right, good, that's interesting. Oh, good, I might be mildly interested in that one day. I'm on the winning team, everybody. And it's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with me, but it's got everything to do with him. Holding him, death can never hold me. This is unbelievably fantastic. But we live in a world where so many are without him and are still trudging pointlessly around like those women in the early morning mist lost in the shadows of death. Have you made the stunning discovery? The stone rolled away. The empty tomb is not for God's benefit. It's for your benefit. It's your invitation to discover what all of us need to know. Is there more to my life than the number of my days? Is there? Is there more to my death than simply my end? We'd love to help you. It's a puzzling question. We'd love to help you think through some of these things if you've never thought about them before, or if you're, you, you're still thinking and, and working these things through, we've got something called puzzling questions. It's a puzzle. We'd love to invite you. I'll have these with me at the end. They'll be on the newcomer's desk as well as, as you go. We'd love to invite you. Puzzling questions. Not to tell you the answer, but to explore the question together and to hear what the Bible says. So do you see the shadow of death? under which those women got up that morning? Do you see the shocking discovery? And finally, I'm inviting you to see the secure destiny that can be yours today. You see, the passage begins so hopeless, so uncertain. In grief, these women, uh, these women knew, they knew what we all find in grief, that nothing is certain anymore. The things I depended upon, I can't rely on them anymore. Everything has moved in grief. And then just seven verses later, hear the verse with such certainty, the verse with such promise and purpose, but go, verse seven, go, tell his disciples and Peter, he, that's Jesus, is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go, he'll be there. Suddenly there's purpose and meaning. Go, there are things to do. There's a purpose to live for. There's a reason to be. And not just purpose and meaning, but security too. He will be there. You'll meet him because he's there. He's with you. You see, the resurrection brings the words that all of us long to hear. Everything will be okay. Because he's there. It's why those angels said so powerfully and wonderfully, the first thing they said to those women... Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't be panicked to the core is literally what it means. Don't be so panicked that you're paralyzed and in fear and unable to move. 
Uh, and be fair, to be fair, there was much to be afraid about. Their master had just been crucified. The authorities said they wanted them as well. They've now turned up the grave to find it's been tampered with. The body's not there. Nothing is certain anymore. And two men in white turn up and start chatting to you. In the circumstances, fear seems quite an appropriate response. It's like sticking me in the lion enclosure, conscious of zoo on a Friday when they don't get their meat, and the best advice the zookeeper can give is, is don't be afraid. Whatever you do, Simon, don't panic. In this life, by ourselves, there is much to fear. There is much to panic. And it's that fear that in my working life I see time and time and time again. It's that fear that fuels the desperate need to grab and to grab, to hold on to everything I can around me because nothing is certain and I don't know what's going to go next and when and how and I'm scared. Just two weeks ago I had the gut-wrenching task of burying Emma's friend's father, just 43. As his coffin was lowered nine feet into the grave, many of our local community where we live gathered around. The wind whirled around us at the Millennium Cemetery. And I saw what I see every time. You can see it in the eyes. The dominant emotion of the heart. For those closest, it may well be the pain of searing loss. But for the rest of us, and I see it every time, the fear. I can feel the question as I shake people's hands. I can hear it in their voices. Will I be okay? At the end of it all, will everything be all right? I'm scared. Will it really be okay? Fear that people work hard to control over the following days, fear that people work so hard to deal with, to ignore, to get back to life, can't stay there too long, can't think about it too much, but it's there, it's heavy and it's paralyzing and the shadow of death continues to grow its fruit in our lives. If only we could hear the words, and here they are, do not be afraid. I'm asking you in the balcony, will you hear those words in your spirit this morning? Do not be afraid. In, in the orchestra, in the choir, in the pews, do, you do not need to be afraid anymore. We do not need to live in fear now. Can I be so bold this morning? I love you. I love you. You might go, you don't even know me. No, probably right, that's what helps me to love you. Love you. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, I, I love you. I love you. I want the best for you with all my heart. I love you. So I, I want to ask you, who are you trusting with your life? And if I could be so bold even on this Easter Sunday, who are you trusting with your death? Who are you trusting with your death? And finally... Look at what trusting means. It means go. Remember where they are. They're, they're there in the place of death. They're huddled amongst the tombs. Hear the call to go. You can go. You can leave this place of death. You can go. You can move out from under the shadows. You can go and you can flee from your pain, your fear and your doubt. You can go, go, go. The ancient mass may well say, in the midst of life we are in death, but it's only a grain of truth. There is a much greater truth that is quite the reverse. In the midst of death, we can enter life. 
And that's the story of the resurrected Jesus. If we go, we can meet him. If we go to our homes, we can meet him there. If we go back to our marriages open, we can meet him there. If we go back to our workplace, to our leisure place, to our relaxating, to our sport, to our lives, we can meet him. And in meeting him, we can see the shadows flee because he's alive. And nothing can touch him, not even death. For in him, in Jesus, even death, the little deaths in me, the big death in me, the moment my life comes to end, every death in me has died. Hallelujah. Because he's alive. Because he's alive. I I can't tell you. I can't tell you what a privilege it is to stand here and to share this with you. To share what I believe can change your life for the whole of your life and for the whole of eternity. There is nowhere I would rather be than to share this with you for these moments. I don't want to stay here. I want lunch in due course. Nowhere but to share with you who you're trusting with your life, who you're trusting with your death.